Welcome in to another new podcast from the Association for Materials Protection and Performance. My name is Ben DuBose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro Magazine and with Materials Performance Magazine. Today, as we continue our Codings Pro interview series, talking to various experts within the protective coatings industry, we're joined by Tony Mirakic, Vice President at Champion Painting Specialty Services. If that name sounds familiar, it might be because there's a future article at CodingsProMag.com right now titled The Bridge to Tribeca, Recoding a Pedestrian Connection in New York City, which spotlights one of their recent marquee projects. So to get some more perspective on that project, as well as other tips and tricks in the world of Codings contractors, I'm happy to welcome Tony to the show. Tony, good morning. How are you? Very good. And you? Cannot complain at all. Glad to be on with you. And I think a good place to start, Tony, if you could just introduce yourself, your role at Champion, and tell our listeners a little bit more about your experience in the industry. My name is Anthony Marichick. Uh I've been in the industry now for 38 years. I started as an apprentice back in 1983, worked my way up to journeyman, foreman, superintendent, and in 1990, uh, my father and I started our own company. We thought it would be easy, but unfortunately it wasn't. Uh, between the bonding and financing, we found it very difficult and we ended up merging with a much larger commercial company. And I was there for 25 plus years before joining Champion uh, about four years ago. My role with Champion is I'm in charge of all the road and bridges uh, throughout the Northeast and now heading towards west as well. So all the bridge painting, uh, overpasses, structures uh, are all fall under uh, my team. If you could, the yes. uh, Tribeca Bridge was one of the first projects that uh, we received when I joined Champion. It was a project that was uh, bid numerous times, but it was mm -hmm. never awarded. Uh, one of the main reasons we felt it wasn't awarded uh, logistically, it was kind of a nightmare because the main purpose or the, the main function of that bridge mm -hmm. is to provide safe access for the children that attend Stuyvesant High School. So from going from the east side of the west side highway over to the high school, now, the West Side Highway is basically a highway in the middle of Manhattan, or I should say on the west side of Manhattan, where you have speeding traffic, you got trucks, buses. So that was one of the uh, challenges, mm -hmm. along with the height restriction of the bridge itself. Clearance was an issue because you had uh, truck traffic, that was going up and down the West Side Highway, which, which would supply mm -hmm. supplies through Manhattan. So when it came out again, my team and I sat down and we said we had to come up with a way. Previously, uh, we were looking at rapid deployment. I guess everybody else was as well. Mm -hmm. And we, we knew we had to come up with a platform, some type of platform that we can perform the work and still allow traffic to flow and to keep the job on schedule. Doing it lane by lane under a five-hour closure would probably take two years. Oh, God. So what we did was I contacted uh, Dave Pasucci, who is the engineer, the chief engineer for SafeSpan. Okay. 
And we sat down and another challenge on that project is it's a tubular structure, mm -hmm. which uh, according to Davey, really doesn't support a lot. But putting his head and his team and our team together, we came up with a tube system that we were able to attach to the underside of this bridge, which only reduced the clearance by six inches. And that allowed us to build off of uh, that platform and then continually work uninterrupted while traffic uh, continued to uh, flow. At that point, we uh, we knew we were getting into winter months. Sure. So now we had to come up with another plan. So the specification and the surface prep was an SP3 with a spot SP11. Okay. Which your containment system is basically a class 3P containment. We knew that wasn't going to work. So we brought our engineer down and we came up with a design to enclose the entire bridge in a class 1A containment. Okay. That would allow us to introduce heat as needed. It also would allow us to put in air filtration because once we started spraying, the it was an epoxy coating with a urethane top coat, Yeah, which does have a, uh, a nice odor to it. Now, this building being attached to a high school, that was another challenge. So by encapsulating the entire bridge and able to put in airflow, we minimized the odor that was going into the school and the kids walking through yeah. the pedestrian walkway. How did you guys overcome the seasonality concerns of it? Because I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are thinking New York City in the winter months, and of course you can read the article, Bridge to Tribeca at CodingsForMag.com for more about it, but you mentioned the system that you guys um, set up, the enclosure apparatus. How did that play into keeping the area warm enough to where you could coat in New York in the winter? We didn't expect to have such a harsh winter as we did. Okay. But our engineer, when she designed uh, our outrigger system, which uh, was used to attach the tarps to, we used double layer airbag material, which was strong enough and thick enough to hold the heat in place. Okay. And what we brought over were three units, a million BTU each, and we pumped it in to the entire containment, and we were able to maintain 55 to 60 degrees hmm. during the entire operation. And outside, the temperature was in the teens. That's pretty impressive. We didn't expect it to drop that because we got spoiled for the last few winters prior. Mm -hmm. The lowest it got was in the 30s, 40s, mm -hmm. so we figured we were fine. And uh, what made it a little more difficult was the, uh, the specification called for, as I said, an SP3 and an SP11. Yeah. And we had to scarify the entire surface because okay. the paint was on there since the bridge was erected, and I think that was early 80s. Mm -hmm. So they weren't sure what the condition of the steel was. We knew it was bad, but there were some areas that were still intact. So part of our plan was to hit the entire structure with a 5,000 PSI power washer with a uh, turbo tip on it. Now, what this did, what this would do, 
is scarify the entire surface as well as uncover any unsound coatings. So when we were done, it almost looked like it was a total removal project. That's mm. how uh, bad the paint was. The paint was just hanging on. Jeez. When the owner came in, they were kind of shocked. Shocked and pleased. <laughs> yeah. Because if we would have followed the specification, all we would have done was go up there and abrade the surface and overcoat it. And in a short period of time, all that paint would have fell off. So that was a, uh, a godsend. And it also uh, helped us and it's, uh, it sped up the production. And it turned it into a, a, a much better job than anticipated. Had they done other overcoat jobs in the, you said this was built in the mid to early 80s. Is the work they had done in the past, was that just sort of an overcoat and that's what they were expecting you all to do as well? They tried to, uh, originally when it came out, they did uh, specify some blasting the first few times. Mm -hmm. And their biggest fear again was uh, they couldn't shut the bridge down because of the school. Gotcha. And that was the only access to the school. Gotcha. So they try to change the spec uh, to minimize the surface prep and and to, con to be able to continue to keep the school open. They ended up getting almost a complete paint removal anyway, mm -hmm. which uh, worked out in their favor. Uh, they were uh, on both sides of the bridge were these staircases, tremendous okay. staircases which provided access up to the bridge, which was another challenge because we couldn't shut them down. And yet they were 20% uh, of the steel was on the staircases and it needed the same surface prep. Yeah. So what we had to do is during Christmas week, while the school was closed, we pipe scaffold around the entire uh, entryway on both sides, pumped in heat and did the total removal and uh, reapplication of the coating just in time for the kids to come back to school. So that was another... Uh, challenge that we had and uh, the owner was happened to be a really good owner to work with they were uh, an active partner in the project mm -hmm. which made it real good because as new ideas as we came up with new ideas they were very receptive to the change mm -hmm. where in some cases you know a specification is a specification and uh, the owner expects you to follow it regardless yeah but this owner was really good and they uh they realized the challenges that we had and they had, and it uh, it turned out to be uh, done way ahead of schedule. Yep. And the product came out a lot, a lot better than uh, anticipated by the owner. It sounds like, from your perspective, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that arguably the biggest part of this was that sort of enclosure device that you put together. Because without that, you would have run into the same limitations that, you know, we've talked about historically with not being able to truly do that kind of prep. Is that a fair assessment that basically that unique apparatus that you put together with SafeSpan was sort of the key to making this all work? Yeah, it was. It was between SafeSpan and our engineer. So what we do, yeah. see, Champion, the way we work, we depend on, we have a tremendous team with so much experience every time we get a job regardless of what it is and once we are notified that we are the low bidder and we are getting the job i bring my entire team down which is my scaffold installers my containment guys my engineer 
and we look at the job, and I explain how I looked at it and what I envisioned, and they take that and they look at it and they find ways to make it better, make it safer, make it easier. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to take the credit for this, but I have two guys that work for me, and we call them the dynamic duo. The two brothers, Anthony and Milan Ivankov, and they've been with me for about 35 years. Yeah. These guys are tremendous. And they had the foresight to see this. They had the foresight to see the winters coming in and how we can do this without any interruption. Between them, my chief estimator, Tom Brennan, who is tremendous, and our engineer, they put all this together and they came up with this plan and it, it turned out to be the right way to do it. So roughly how big is Champion and where are you all based? Our home base is in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Okay. We have offices in New York. We have an office in Alaska. We have an office in Indiana. Mm-hmm. We just opened an office in Guam. Okay. And we are in the process of opening an office in uh, Georgia. Mm-hmm. We have grown in, I would say, since I'm here going on four years, we've kind of doubled our business almost every year. Yep. But we've doubled our business in a very strategic way. Champion believes in people, employees, team members. And as we are able to get new team members to join us, that's how we grow our business. Some companies buy other businesses. We grow within. We find good people that want to come on board, whether they're epoxy floor people, and then we'll bring them on board and we'll start that type of business. Everything is done within. We're a complete team-oriented business. Our offices interact daily. So that's what makes Champion what it is today our team how much does the past experience on those types of jobs you mentioned that you have a particular emphasis on roads and bridges how much does that sort of help ease the fear of clients because obviously there's a million things that they're trying to balance they want to get the the best performance on that bridge but then there's the traffic the logistics all those other things how much does your past experience on these types of projects sort of play in i mean i know there's a bidding process and everybody wants the best bang for their buck, but how much does your past experience and the fact that you can point to, say, I guess for a future project, you can point to the Tribeca Bridge and say, hey, look, this is something that I've done successfully. How much does that sort of help you in getting these jobs? It it does help getting pre-qualified for these mm-hmm. projects. Yeah. Uh, on this particular job, they called in the low three bidders. Okay. We had no idea in what order we were. And they were, we were asked to make a presentation on how we were going to perform this job, handle all the challenges with the schools, the traffic. Mm-hmm. And we sat down there and we gave our presentation. And after each company gave their presentation, we were notified that not only were they accepting us with our price, but they really felt very comfortable with our plan going forward and our the experience of our team. So for this particular job, I think my experience and my team's experience uh, was very helpful in uh, securing this project. By the way, to sort of 
close the loop on the Tribeca Bridge. So I believe they went with a polyurethane top coat, right? Yes. So why was that the choice in terms of the coating solution? Why did that make the most sense for, for that particular environment? So the paint system was a spot epoxy, mm-hmm. full coat of epoxy, and a urethane top coat. Mm-hmm. The bridge sits right in the center of the West Side Highway where the sunlight is gotcha. it's in sunlight all day long. And with the uh, urethane and the UV protection, it was the right choice for that bridge. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the of course, the protective is all in the epoxy coatings. And with the amount of paint that came off, they actually got they received two full coats of epoxy. And then with the urethane top coat, which gave it the... Uh, the retention of the color and the protection against the UV. And I assume the client's feedback, uh, you touched on this earlier, but it sounds like the feedback has been pretty positive. I mean, how is it holding up? And I guess, how long has it been since you all did that project? We, we started it in October of nine, uh, 2018, and okay. we completed it in April of 2019. So how's it holding up in the two years since? Uh, besides the fact that it's a white bridge mm-hmm. and it gets a little dirty, sure, looks like it was done yesterday. Wow. And the client was extremely, extremely happy. Uh, they actually asked us if we did any other work besides painting because they would love for us to get involved with more of their projects. Hmm. So that was a, uh, a nice compliment. So as we wind down the podcast, I want to transition to what we do, these rapid-fire questions with our guests to perhaps just shed some more light on your story, but also it might be relatable to another contractor listening. So, Tony, I think a good place to start, you know, earlier we talked about sort of your experience in the industry. How did you get started off down this path? Did you always know that you wanted to go into painting? What was it that sort of early in your career put you down this particular road? My father was a bridge painter. While I was starting college, I fell in love, do it. wanted to get married, and needed a full-time job with benefits. And <laughs> how I convinced my father to take me on as an apprentice with him, and that was uh, some 38 years. Well, I'm sorry, it was 40 years ago. Oh, wow. And uh, needless to say, I never got married to that young lady. <laughs> and I ended up marrying into the business. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, so you've been doing this 40 years. What's your, yep. favorite, what's your favorite project over that time? Or, or, or do you have one for that matter? Uh, the 59th Street Bridge, which that connects uh, the borough of Queens into Manhattan. Okay. It was a bridge that was bid in 2004. Gotcha. It's the largest paint contract ever bid and awarded wow. in the country. It was a $167 million paint job. It was for 8 million square feet hmm. of complete Jeez. SB10 and a three-coat system. It had towers. It had the interior of the towers. It had wow. trusses. It had flat steel. It had everything that we work on in this industry in one project. Hmm. It was a five-year job. I did the project. I ran the project right to the very end. And uh, it's one of my pride and joys. How long did it actually take to execute? I know you said five years. How long did it take you guys? 
project. We finished it probably, it took four and a half years. Okay. And then again, punch lists and sign offs and sure. square feet is a lot of square feet. Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. No, but I mean, it's good that you finish ahead of schedule, just like the Tribeca Bridge. I know y'all finished a couple of months uh, early on that. I'm sure, you know, sort of the cherry on top of the Sunday in a lot of these jobs is if you get out of there early, right? Yeah, and, and the beauty is we had we were working for New York City DOT, yep. who is also a very active partner in their projects, mm -hmm. which helped uh, expedite the submittal process, uh, changes. It was, again, it was a team effort. And when, when, when there's a team effort between the owner and the contractor and the consultant, it just makes things move a lot quicker and it gives for a much better project. And then the last one I've got for you, uh, you've been doing this 40 years. You've had a lot of lessons over that time. Any advice for somebody new to the industry that's listening right now as far as uh, how they should potentially start off their careers? Uh, the best advice I ever received was steal everything with your eyes and your ears and listen to everybody because even the apprentice on the project hmm. could have the right idea. I think that's a great perspective. Folks, as we wind down with Tony Merichich, um Tony, anything else you want to add as far as, I guess it can be your own thoughts, the Tribeca Bridge Project? If anyone listening has questions for you or for Champion, how can they potentially get in touch with you guys? Well, our website is www.championssc.com, and our phone number is area code 954-462. 9079. Sounds good. Folks, this is where we will leave things on today's episode. For Tony Merichich, I'm Ben Dubose. If you want more information from us, uh, you can check out the AMP website at ampp.org. And of course, you can visit codingspromag.com. Tony just gave you the website for Champion if you want to learn more about what they do. With that, we'll sign off. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new podcast episode from the Codings Pro interview series. Calling all Codings contractors. We have a great resource for you. Codings Pro magazine provides you with the latest news, trends, and technologies for your coding needs. And the best part? It's completely free to anyone who signs up. Simply visit codingspromag.com slash subscribe. Codings Pro. Know what the pros know.